Okay, welcome to episode eight of In Your Corner Divorce Podcast. Today's episode is going to be taking us into sacred ground. We're going to be pulling back the curtain and turning on the lights of divorce from the perspective of someone who's gone through it as a child. Once the decision of divorce is made, the greatest fear I had was, am I going to mess up my kids? We hear horror stories about divorce and how harmful it can be for the kids. It feels inevitable and that they'll be damaged and they're going to be in therapy and trauma forever. But I was told that there is another way and I wanted there to be another way and I found another way. The coaching program I offer clients is created with that specific goal in mind, how to not F up our kids. But in order to get to where we want to be, we have to be willing to go back to see how others did it and how we want to do it differently with more intention. Everyone is a teacher. Everyone has a story to tell. Today, we get to hear from the courageous young advocate, Maddie. Maddie reached out to me when she saw the anonymous form I posted asking children of divorce to fill out 10 questions so I could get inside their experiences. Welcome, Maddie. Hi. Can you tell me why you were willing to fill out the form and why you wanted to reach out? Yeah, so I feel like my story of my parents' divorce is unique. Um, I experienced... I have a really good relationship with my mom, um, but my relationship- Maddie, can you come a little closer so I can hear your beautiful voice? Perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, my relationship with my mom is great, um, but I no longer have a relationship with my dad. Um, we, I'm trying to think, they separated when I was eight um, and leading up to that separation was just a lot of tense moments in our house um they like what can you give me an example of what it was like yeah um they didn't talk to each other okay <laughs> sucked and you were aware of that when you were eight yes it was okay. I was painfully aware of it yeah um and you know I was I mean people called me mature for my age when I was that age they would always say that to me um but it was really I don't know it's it was also it, it was made clearer to me by um, them sleeping in different rooms, <laughs> which was very odd to me because we had a guest room. Um, and so my dad moved into the guest room and I was just kind of always waiting. Um, I remember every time my mom said she would need to talk to me about something, I remember like bracing myself and trying to prepare myself for her to tell me that they were going to get divorced. And You felt it. You knew it was coming. Yes, I absolutely okay. knew. And I would ask questions like fishing. Um, I remember asking my dad one time we were driving. I remember asking my dad what um, he was going to do for my mom for Valentine's Day the next year. Mm -hmm. Because I just wanted to hear him say, we probably won't be together. I wanted some closure because we were just kind of floating there. I bet that fear and anxiety as a child and not knowing what's next and that that waiting, like when's the shoe going to drop? Yeah. And are you an only child? I have two older brothers um, from my mom's. My mom's been married twice. Once but in that house, was anyone uh, with you? No. They were, they went to college um, right before. And then one of my brothers ended up taking a year off and um, living with a friend nearby. 
And so he kind of kept tabs on how my mom and I were doing in the situation. Um, but no, it was just me and my parents. So when you were going through that period where you didn't know if they were going to end up getting a divorce, did you have anyone to talk to? Um, my parents were, they were intentional with getting me a therapist, um, as soon as they knew that something was wrong with their marriage or as soon as my mom let my dad know there was something wrong with their marriage. Um, (laughs) and so they put me in therapy, um, and that gave me somebody to talk to, but most of, I would say the first year of therapy, I think I started when I was seven, um, because they knew they were having issues and they wanted to get me in. Um, I, we would just play games. We never really talked because right. I wasn't willing to open up and I was yeah. seven. So yeah. yeah. And so once they told you, what, what did it feel like for you? Was it a mixture of fear and relief? Was it, what, what did you feel? Um, well, leading up to, so there was that really tense period where they slept in different rooms and they wouldn't talk to each other and all of that. Um, and then there were two incidents where they called the police on each other. From fighting? Um, yes. Mm-hmm. And so that was like, I just wanted it to be over. I was right. just like, I don't want to be in this situation anymore. I never, ever was like, I wish my parents would stay together. That never crossed my mind. I never did like a parent trap thing. You know, I, yeah. I have friends who are children of divorce who were like, I wanted my parents to stay together. That was not the case. Um, because the police calling incidents were super traumatic for me and there's still things that I'm dealing with I can't Um, imagine when that happened where were you um the first time was not as big of a deal as the second time the first time my parents were outside and they got mad at each other and then my mom called the police because she was afraid of my dad and my dad called the police on her um (laughs) but it wasn't really it was it was really on my dad um the second time and I was inside so I you know, I saw the police come, but I was playing on the computer. I knew what was going on. I was very yeah. aware. Right. The second time, um, my parents were taking turns putting me to bed. It was the night before the last day of third grade, which I was super excited for. You know, there's all the festivities and yeah. whatever on that day. And so I was going to bed and my parents fought over um, who would, or they, my dad got mad because my mom was spending more time than he got to put me to bed. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad came upstairs and pushed my mom and then it was a whole thing. Um, and so they called the police and my mom, and then I was very involved in that. Um, I sat on my dad's lap on the front porch um, as the police were you know, standing right there. Um, they asked my dad to leave the house and he complied. Um, but, you know, I just, I remember that whole time I was so afraid um, that my dad was going to take me from my mom, which is never something he said he was going to do. Yeah. Um, But I didn't sleep that night. And for probably three years after on the anniversary of that day, it was June 9th. And I still remember that it was 11 years ago. um, I would sleep at friends' houses to distract. You didn't want to be there. Yeah. Yep. And how, what a paradox to have that night with the flashing lights and on your dad's lap and that fear. And then the next day you've got clap out. Yes. I yep. mean, I mean, we live in a very similar neighborhood that's beautiful in any town USA and beautiful traditions. 
and you have to show up there with your smiley face and eat like the homemade brownies and did you tell anybody um nobody knew I don't I told any friends because I was just I mean I didn't know what to do with myself um and so I you know was there and was just did what I needed to do to get through the day but I do have memories you know in um fourth grade when I started fourth grade um when that was when I started having to switch back and forth between houses and the the day before we did a um before it was officially court ordered it was every three days I would switch Mm -hmm. and I remember like doing word sort in uh, my fourth grade classroom and like holding back tears yeah um, because I didn't want to I mean none of my friends were going to understand what was going on and right my teachers you know they knew what was happening my parents made them aware yeah but they weren't people that I felt like I could talk to about it because they were teaching a class so tell me um after that second incident with the police how long after that did your parents tell you and how did they tell you um they actually told me after the first incident and but they were still staying in the same house they told you they were going to get a divorce or they were thinking about it they told me they were going to get a divorce after the first incident but they stayed in the same house and then the second incident was what they that makes sense why they were fighting about how much time it took to be together because they were probably already in that mindset of no it's my time no it's your time and it's actually interesting because one of the things on the form responses that i found was feeling stuck in the middle between these two adults are supposed to act like adults and don't know how to because their emotions are stuck and they're being selfish and then you get stuck you know tell me um hold on one second Okay, here we go. Thank you, listeners. Just having a little COVID technical difficulty, but Maddie is fabulous, and we are back. Um, We are continuing with her story of what happened. She's in grade three, just finishing her last day of school, rough rough night with the police, and she knows her parents are getting a divorce. So, Maddie, why don't you continue telling us the story? Yeah, so I, you know, I remember all the festivities on that last day, and then my mom picked me up, and I knew that things were going to be different um, moving ahead. I knew that my parents were no longer going to be in the same house um, because that police incident was just too much um, for all of us. And so um, my mom picked me up and said that we were going to live with her coworker for the time being. Um, Her coworker lived in Chesterland, which is like 40 minutes away from my childhood home. Um, But I was still going to be living with dad half time and we were going to do the three day, every three day schedule. Um, and my dad, instead of my mom really wanted to, um, have me live in the house full time and to switch back and forth, have my parents like a switch nesting back situation where they, the yeah. parents switch and you stay in the home. Yep. That yep. was her ideal. Um, I didn't know that at the time and I found out later cause my mom and I have had, some extensive healing conversations about, you know, questions I needed answered. Um, And so she really wanted that. But instead, my parents, um, when I was staying with my mom, we would live, you know, 40 minutes away from my childhood home. And my dad would live in my childhood home. And then when I was staying with my dad, three days for three days, um, we would stay 30 minutes in the other direction with my dad's mom. (laughs) 
And you my mom wouldn't would stay say, in your childhood at home at all. Nope. What was the reason? Um, my dad didn't want to. Mm. So he made it really difficult. Okay. <laughs> um, also, my parents were very much, um, you know, when they put me in therapy initially, everybody, it felt like everybody was just waiting for me to break. Yeah. Um, everyone would ask me every day. I would get How asked. How are you doing? Right. Yeah. Yep. And I would always be like, I'm fine. Like, right. <laughs> I don't know. you know, I felt pain and I was scared, but it, I didn't know how to verbalize it. And I didn't know what was, what the root of the pain was. Yeah. Um, I, so then it's like really complicated as far as living situations go. So but how long I, were you going back and forth with such a far distance? Um, until, so my parents like physically separated in June mm-hmm. and we did the mom living with coworker, dad living with grandma um, situation through October. Okay. And then after that, my mom got an apartment, um, near my childhood home. We still couldn't go in cause then it was divorce proceedings. Um, and my dad continued to stay with his mom for the next, I think two or three years. And his mom lives a half an hour away from my school my friends, my mom. Um, so that was really isolating. And, and during this whole period, are your parents communicating? Are they showing up for your birthdays? Are you guys doing Halloween together? Or is it total separation? Total separation because my mom had to get a restraining order. Okay, good times. Yeah, it was great. Um, but I didn't know that she needed a restraining order. I knew, I, I didn't want them to be together regardless. Right. Um, the first time that I remember seeing them together in the same room was my fifth grade, which was two years after this. Um, my fifth grade curriculum night. And I remember being absolutely panicked. Um, and I, my head just went back to, and I, I have since been diagnosed with PTSD. Yeah, of um, course. But my head, I'm, you know, I'm standing in my fifth grade classroom and I'm like, they're going to call the police on each other again, which obviously right. they're going to, you know, be violent in front of people. <laughs> yes. Right. right. Um, but that was where my head went. And so part of well, me, cause the last time they were together in front of you, that's what happened. Yes. Yeah. And you know, when they were together at curriculum night, they, you know, of course they didn't talk. Um, they didn't really go near each other. It was very awkward. You could feel it. <laughs> yes. Yes. So tell me with the whole thing, that sounds like it got pretty isolating and messy. And I know that you've told You've shared a little bit that it got even worse. Um, what do you think your biggest challenges were as a child of divorce while you're going through it? Were people communicating with you and like walking you through like why things are happening? Were you feeling left out? Like what, what were you struggling with? My biggest struggle that still comes through in symptoms of PTSD and anxiety and panic disorder that I have today was that I wasn't listened to. Yes. Um, that is something that has, you know, our bodies are amazing. Yeah. And my body knows that when I was going through my parents' divorce, nobody listened to me unless I had a medical issue. Mm. And so I vomit now. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. So, so someone can pay attention. Yes. 
And even when it has, you know, really nothing to do on the surface with my parents' divorce, and it's something that, you know, I manage with meds now and right. have gone through EMDR. Your, body, your body's reaction to the trauma. Yes. And so, you know, interspersed between throughout my um, parents' divorce and separation, there were quite a few hospital visits where, you know, I would have a panic attack, not know what it was. And because people weren't listening to what I said I needed, right. um, which what I said I needed was to live with my mom full time. Got it. Um, my dad didn't want to hear that. And why uh, did he want to live with your mom full time? Well, since my dad never got an official diagnosis when I was living with him, um, but all of the experts I've talked to since have a pretty strong inkling that he is on the um, sociopath spectrum and has narcissistic personality disorder. Got it. Which I'm and hearing a lot about in the divorce world. I am sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so you were, you were, you knew at a young age that you were not safe and yes. you kept asking for help. I'm sure as a mother, I can understand your mother probably felt so powerless with the yes. court systems, because I hear that that can be a nightmare. And they don't listen. If there is not, and I, you know, I say all the time that I wish instead of the emotional abuse and neglect that I went through, I wish that it were physical. Because then they would have attention. I, yes. Yeah. Because I would have gotten out of it sooner. But yeah. instead, they put me in those situations because my dad's a good talker. Right. And my Smart. mom was paralyzed. Right. Yep. Yes. So what age did you finally get taken care of? At what age did they finally say, no, you need to live with your mom? Nobody ever said that. I had to make that choice on my own. Okay. So uh, what age did that happen? I was 14. Because that's the, is that the age of, uh, in Ohio where you're allowed to say I, who I want to live with? Nobody told me. <laughs> okay. I just made the choice on my own. I was, you know, at, so my dad lived with his mom and me, you know, half time um, until while he was renovating an apartment building that took him like eight years to renovate. Mm -hmm. um, he didn't gut the whole thing and it shouldn't have taken that long, um, but that's like a whole other thing. Yeah. But when we finally did move into the apartment, there was not a door on our front door of our apartment and there were other people living there and I was 13. Mm. Um, we didn't have a kitchen. We didn't have running water for a few weeks. Um, we didn't have food in the house and my dad thought it was fine. Um, I didn't have blinds on my windows and our apartment building was right next to another apartment. And so I was just, you know, gradually getting more and more panicked and couldn't handle it anymore. And, um, when I was 14, I, I just had enough. And I said, I need medication. Like I can't, handle this anxiety anymore. I remember going to a Ed Sheeran concert and um, I couldn't be present. I had to keep going to the bathroom because I was so panicked and I couldn't be around all the people. And um, it was manifesting in other areas of my life. And so um, I wanted to go on medication and my dad told me that I didn't need it, which he has no experience right. <laughs> in the medical world. And so I pushed and pushed and pushed. Um, and they finally let me go to, um, a nurse practitioner who my dad was the medical person 
um, mm-hmm. the divorce. My mom was the like home person because she lived um, where my school district is. And right. then my dad was the medical person because he didn't. And that didn't, you know, that made things a lot harder. Um, but he finally agreed to let them prescribe hydroxyzine to me, which is my rescue med. Um, mm-hmm. When I'm panicking, it sedates me um, just enough to function normally. And I took a hydroxyzine and, you know, 15 minutes after I took it, and I was with my mom at the time, I was like, I'm never going back. <laughs> um, you were that, calm enough to know. You yes. finally got calm enough to be able to really use your voice. I mean, what's so interesting about you, Maddie, is you said something that was really, it really hit me that you never felt listened to, that nobody listened to me. And no. What is so interesting today is we're all listening to you and something that I had messaged you about earlier before we did our podcast was that I asked you if you would be interested in helping me help other people. And you said, absolutely. And I truly want anyone who's listening or anyone who knows anyone who needs it to know that you can email me at inyourcornercoach at gmail.com. Um, it's also in my link of every episode. And if you want to send an anonymous letter that you want Maddie or myself to respond to, or if you just need another person that's been through it, like Maddie, um, I think that this is going to take you to a whole nother level of advocacy and empowerment because yeah. it sounds like at 14, you were able to finally use your voice to take care of yourself. Yes. And then, you know, after that, and I'm still going through, and I have no contact with my dad, the yeah. repercussions. And, um, you know, I still have to use medication to manage my anxiety surrounding it in any situation where um, I feel invalidated um, or not listened to. Yeah. It's triggering for me. Yeah. And so if I knew that I could get out sooner, you wish you would have done it. Yes. Yeah. One of the cool things that, um, I've heard, and I'm not going to get the words right, but something I posted before about that our scars are like lighthouses for other people to follow, that we get to use them. You know, the, one of my closest friends told me that you can't change the things that you've been through. Like you can't make any of those memories go away. They're going to be part of your life. Right. we have a choice to either get stuck in them or we can use them to help empower us to become the humans we want to become. And, you know, that leads me into my question, which is how has divorce changed you in a positive way? I know that it's obviously physically and mentally and emotionally affected you and it probably will be with you for your whole life in different aspects, but how do you think, or can you identify any positive like gifts or lessons that you've walked away with from where you are today? Yeah, I had to grow up really fast. Okay. um, And that has allowed me to, I can identify situations where, um, I don't know, I, I'm really good at helping others, um, you know, directly when they, You know, I have friends who, you know, nobody is in the exact situation that I was in, but um, I have friends who've experienced similar situations with boyfriends of theirs or um, like their parents not validating their feelings and thoughts. And I've helped them advocate for themselves because I know how to do it now. Um, 
I also know what to <laughs> look for in a partner. And I have a wonderful boyfriend now that I was going to ask you how this is, how this is playing out in your love life. And I'm so yeah. happy to hear that you have not crossed off that as an option, but you actually have a gift, which is, you know, what to look for in a partner, which yeah. just took me like 35 years. You know? So <laughs> Yeah. And you know, I was, I was just talking to my parents the other day, the, I was really hesitant going into this relationship and this relationship, you know, you never know, but this relationship yeah. does feel like my forever. I know I'm 19, but we are perfect together. Yeah. <laughs> Quite he's honestly. your person. He's your person. He is my person. And what I needed to hear from him before I ever said, I love you or let my guard down was I will, he said word for word, I will do everything in my power to never be like your father. Oh my God. That must've, I mean, I'm getting chills when you said that. Yeah, no. And I was just like, <laughs> okay. 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 Let's go. Hold my hand. Right. Yes. Cause that was the first time that I really felt listened to and, and heard like and he seen. Wanted, yeah. Yes. Like he wanted to actively get the things, the pain that was inflicted on me. Um, I'm so grateful that the world gets to have you and that <laughs> you didn't go to the place of like, I want out which yeah. is very easily, you could have easily gone. I went down that path. I grew up in an alcoholic home. Yeah. Um, my parents are sober today and I um, am sober as well. But when I went through that path, I was your age, a little younger and I wanted out. Yeah. And you could have easily been that kid that was like, peace out. Right. Um, but you didn't. So let me ask you um, one more question. And then I'm going to remind everybody that's listening that you can reach out to us because I, I believe that your story is just beginning and I'm really excited to get to watch that. Yeah. Um, tell me what real advice do you have for kids or teenagers who are going through a divorce? Maybe not the same dramatic police calling divorce as yours. Right. Obviously right. if they do, I want to hear that, but like when they find out when their parents sit them down and they feel those feelings, what advice do you have? To, to offer them because something that I've been really experiencing is parents are like, this is our divorce. This is not about you. You know, this is, I'm going through this. This is not in, in the kids are like, are you kidding me? Like I'm here. I'm traveling back and forth. So what do you have to offer them? I think, um, I'm trying to think about what I needed to hear. Yeah. That's a great, great way to look at it. What did I need to hear? Um, I think, to, and this is something that my mom said to me a lot, but I didn't internalize and I don't know how to rephrase it in a way that would have helped me internalize it at the time, but to say everything that I'm feeling and everything that I'm experiencing to the people that need to hear it. Um, so to the professionals, you know, if I had been aware of the um, issues that my dad was causing me, I could have, um, advocated for myself more heavily in the, um, meeting that I had with the guardian ad litem when I was nine. Yeah. Um, if I had said, you know, daddy doesn't wash the dishes and, yeah. um, daddy doesn't wash my clothes. We don't have food in the house. Right. Um, that would have been, Do you think you were afraid to tell them? I don't think I knew that there was something tangibly wrong. I could feel it. Got it. But my dad made me feel like 
he was doing the best he could. Right. Which is true. He was doing the best that he could, but it's not what I needed. And so, um, you know, I think also to do whatever you can to create your own safe space. Um, when I was living with my dad and didn't know how to get out of that abusive situation, I made my room what I needed to with what I, with what I could, mm-hmm. um, you know, I printed out pictures that made me happy and put them on the wall. Um, and I think just as much as you can advocate yourself, advocate for yourself or find people who can advocate for you. That's so wonderful. You know, you said something that was so profound just now, which was that he was doing the best he could, but it wasn't what you needed. Yeah. Because I feel like in our society, we hear people saying, I'm doing the best I can. And we're just supposed to accept this is their best. Right. But if it, if their best doesn't actually even meet your needs, not even your wants, your needs, then that's when we need to use our voice. So I love that. And I think there's one follow-up question I have because there's so much power for the parents and yeah. so little power for the kids. If there are any parents listening today that are either about to get divorced in the middle of a divorce or after their divorce and they're kind of just struggling along, what would you say to them to change their course? Um, you know, the, re- the reason that I have such a strong relationship with my mom now is because even though I couldn't see it at the time, she did everything she could and everything that I needed for her to do um, to give me a safe space when I was with her and to advocate for me, um, during the times that I wasn't with her and she was concerned about my well-being at my dad's house. And I think making your kids feel heard as much as you can, you know, even though the courts weren't listening to what my mom had to say, um, about what my living situation needed to be, I could feel when I was with my mom that she cared, that she genuinely wanted to know how I felt, not for any malicious reason to use against my dad, but because she wanted the best for me. Yeah. Um, So, you know, because (laughs) my greatest issue right now that I'm still dealing with is that I didn't feel listened to. Yeah. Any parents can make their children feel listened to, really genuinely listened to. Um, not just, you know, something that my dad used to do. I think he felt like he was doing a good job, but, um, he would ask me how I was feeling and have conversations with me about it, but he didn't do anything to show me that he heard me. Mm-hmm. And he was just listening, but he didn't hear you. Right. And the things that I said I needed, like I did explicitly say, I need to live with mom. He was not up for. So I think parents need to be flexible. And realize that, you know, if my dad had said, okay, you can live with your mom, I would still have a relationship with him. (laughs) Because you would have felt that he wanted what was best for you. And that it must be so painful for his young daughter to say, I need to live with mom because basically I'm not feeling like I'm getting what I need here. And, you know, that's his own stuff that he has to deal with, that he has to walk through. But to be able to hear that, is where the parents, the clients that I'm going to be working with and coaching need to put their ego and their stuff aside and say, what's going to be best for the kids. Yeah. And in an ideal world, what's best for the kids is two people that made the decision not stay together for whatever yeah. reason. 
that put their stuff aside and suck it up and don't have that silent, yucky feeling at curriculum night and go out for ice cream and put a smile on and make it about you. Yep. Absolutely. I have so much hope for you. I am so excited that you are now part of my circle and this is just the beginning of the conversation. Good. Good. Thank you so much for your time. I'm sending you massive blessings. And if this is your person, FYI, I'm an officiant. So I've got you guys. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Have a wonderful day. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye.